Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to a Tuesday Buckeye Talk. We are doing it on the 4th of July. Happy 4th to everybody. This means we'll take off on Wednesday, but we were going to take off Tuesday and we, we got to bring this to you. Doug Maurice and Stephen Means are talking recruiting because two major things have happened in recruiting for Ohio State in the last couple of days. And we have not yet talked about it on Buckeye Talk. We had our market down Monday already planned. So we dropped that on Monday. Ohio State got a commitment from a major defensive recruit in Justin Scott. And they do not get a recruit uh, a commitment from Marquise Lightfoot. Scott happened on Sunday. Lightfoot happened on Monday. We'll get into Scott first. But Stephen, a week ago, would you have predicted the opposite? No on Scott, yes on Lightfoot for the Buckeyes. Literally, I wouldn't have even had Scott on the radar. I would have had him as a five-star where it's like, here's a five-star Ohio State's in the mix for, but definitely near the bottom of this mix. So the fact that it's flipped a week later um, is a testament to a couple of things. I, I honestly think this is a testament to where Ohio State is in recruiting in this new world of NIL. And I think it, even when you lose one of them because you got – quote unquote, the bigger, highly rated guy, I think it's a, it's a, it's a vote of confidence that when Day sat up there in spring, when I was asking recruiting momentum questions and you followed up with some of the NIL stuff, that it felt like they are in a better place and being able to compete in that world. I think this is proof of that. Even when you lose one of the battles. It's just odd that they're both Chicago kids and, yeah. and that it, it just was, they were very much in on Lightfoot for a long time. Lightfoot, the number 67 overall player in the 247 Sports Composite. And Scott is the number 14 overall player in the 247 Sports Composite. They're both from the Chicago area. If you're only going to get one, and like we don't want to be like, oh, you know, silver lining. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But if you're only going to get one, you, you'd take Scott? Is that what we think? I mean, yeah, they wanted both. Because, I mean, one's an ed- edge rusher, one's a defensive end, one's a tackle. But... Yes. I think for what Ohio State's interior defensive line probably needs. I mean, you talk about Mike Hall. You talk about what we've seen Talik Williams flash at times. Taiwan Malone might bring to this group. Ty Hamilton is, might bring to this group. And then that's just Ohio State. If you look across college football, Georgia dominates teams and it starts on the interior of its defensive line because that's just kind of where the game is going right now. You have to be surefire up there. And a guy like Justin Scott, who's six foot four, three ten. But he moves like a guy who's six foot four, two hundred and sixty pounds. I mean, that's a big. Imagine Mike Hall, forty pounds heavier, basically. That's exciting. 
Uh, I feel like I've been doing this a long time, Stephen. I feel like that <laughs> is the position that has been the most difficult. It's the most difficult for anybody. It's where the SEC mm-hmm. maybe has its greatest advantage is with these big, physical, space-eating, but athletic, quick-feet defensive tackles. And I've talked about this before. This goes back to the 2007 national title game, Ohio State versus LSU, and Glenn Dorsey, who was an All-American everybody knew about, and then rookie Jean Francois, who had a huge game against Ohio State. And it's like, man. Ohio State could sure use guys like that. Mm-hmm. And then Jonathan Hankins came down out of Detroit and was like, okay, we haven't seen that much before. And that's a 300-pounder running sideline to sideline. If this is the next version of that, you, I, I, the Boses and Chase Young are rare, right? But Ohio yes. State has a history of edge guys. They have the Sam Hubbards and the Taekwon Lewises and the JT Tuimolowas and the Jack Sawyers. And you figure Kenyatta Jackson, like you figure – They'll, as much as we've been like, hey, they need another Chase Young, you kind of think they'll be okay there in the end. Mm-hmm. I do think if 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 you're going to take one or the other, you'd take the tackle because I and, – and we'll move in. And then we have thoughts overall on where this Ohio State defensive – this is only defensive recruiting. We're not going to talk about quarterbacks. We're not going to talk about receivers. We're not going to talk about like, offensive tackles. We're going to only talk about defensive recruiting recruiting we're going to set you up with again some of the commitment dates are ahead what this defensive class could look like and what this defensive recruiting class could look like compared to past ohio state defensive recruiting classes but we'll start with justin scott the guy they got i don't know i just go to big hank all the time because who doesn't love some big hank Mm -hmm. there is there are you watch Justin Scott. There are not a ton of Ohio State comparisons for this guy. I don't think Stephen. There's not because you don't. You either get the size or you get the speed. I am the last five star guy that was coming here with an understanding that he was going to play defensive tackle was Teron Bissett in 2018. I wasn't on the beat yet when he committed. You were. Was there excitement like this? Because that dude was a top 10 recruit. And I understand the career didn't work out because partially because of injuries, but he just obviously wasn't as good as we thought. But when he first committed, was there this type of buzz that you got with Justin Scott? I think so. I I, I do think so. And then it didn't work. Right. I mean, no, not not that it didn't work, but that he didn't become an All-American. He didn't become a first round pick. But there was excitement, especially, you know, Big Ten roots, NFL family. Mm Mm-hmm. That position, yeah, th- th- there was a, quite a bit of buzz around. So, from, and he was part of a big, he was a part of a highly ranked class. Right. That, by the way, when we go back and talk about there, that was still there's some really good defensive players in that class in eighteen. Right. So, from a, a perspective, just excitement standpoint, it's probably the most excited you've been for defensive tackle prospects in twenty eighteen. But yeah, I think when you look at their high school film, I don't want to say Scott blows what Vincent had out of the water, but it's just a different type of dude. It's a different, you, you kind of mentioned it's when you're that big, but can go sideline to sideline that is rare everywhere outside of the sec. So if in this world where Ohio state is constantly trying to sec itself on the field, a guy like Justin, Justin Scott is another step in that direction. When you've already seen bits and pieces of it with, with Tyleek Williams, he just can never do it consistently because he's never fully in shape. And then Mike Hall did what he did last season and limited opportunity. If he continues to build on that, and then you just throw the five-star version on top of those two, I think that's where Ohio State needs to get to here. Yes, the addresses. Yes, you need to continue to go try to find the Boses and the Chase Youngs. But you've at least had the step under them. Where whatever 
<laughs> trying to think. Whatever uh, Jalen Carter is, if he's one, Ohio State hasn't really had a lot of twos at defensive tackle, and this guy might be a one. Big Hank, your friend and mine, was the number 327 overall recruit in the class of 2010. This is going way back. We're talking 14 years. Number 327 overall recruit coming out of high school. He was 6'3", 335. Justin Scott is 6'4", 310. He is the number three defensive lineman. Edge guys are classified differently. So like number three true defensive lineman in this class, number 14 overall player. And I, I will tell you, one of the things I like about this, Stephen, and we'll get into some of the Chicago stuff a little bit later, is just like I liked Big Hank, for the type of player that he was, but coming from a major Midwestern city, Mm -hmm. I like Ohio state going in and pulling sort of a different kind of player out of a major Midwestern city that, and maybe we'll get into Chicago stuff right now. Ohio state needs to win those. You need to be able to go into Detroit. You need to be able to go into Pittsburgh, Terrell Pryor. You need to be able to go into Chicago. You need to be able to go into Indianapolis, Terry McLaurin. You need to be able to go in to the major Midwestern cities and puff out your chest and say, we're Ohio State, and say, maybe we're not here all, all, all the time. But when somebody worth it comes on the radar, we're Ohio State. We are your hometown school. No offense to Illinois or Northwestern or Iowa or Mizzou or the schools that really do recruit a place like Chicago on a regular basis. Ohio State should go in and win something like this on occasion. And they've had other clearly definitely, you know, obviously other big time Detroit guys since Jonathan Hankins, and they've had some Chicago guys over the years. But if this guy is is Big Hank 2.0? That is pretty darn good. And I and from a recruiting profile, he could be more than that. But Jonathan Hankins was an absolute difference maker who was a different type of player than Ohio State usually had. He wound up as the number as a second round pick, number 49 overall in the in the 2013 NFL draft, Stephen. And I just feel like there's so many parts of this recruitment that for Ohio State to maximize what it is, it needs to go pull 300-pound athletic tackles out of big cities in the Midwest. And maybe this is the first time they've done exactly that version of this in, in the last 14 years. On defense, probably. Uh, they had been in Chicago offensively with, obviously, Caleb Brown being from there. Uh, Carnell Tate is actually from Chicago, even though he went to IMG for his last two years after the COVID stuff. But those are Chicago kids, and Ohio State won those battles. That's Brian Hartline getting it done. This is another assistant coach who you should feel like, I'm who I am. I'm going to go down here, and I'm going to get it done. And that didn't happen for Larry, John- Larry Johnson last cycle when it came to these five-star guys. Now – that's also you're fighting for two guys who are in the SEC and one guy in Pac-12 country and Mateo Uyengaleye and Keon Keeley and Damon Wilson. Justin Scott is a different conversation, as you just mentioned. That's a kid from the Big Ten blueprint who's from a state where you know programs within his state are not of the caliber of the player he is. So the next possible thing now that becomes a Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State conversation. And it, as he, I think he said it somewhere that he thought he was going to Michigan coming into his official visit. And 
whether it was Michigan, whether it was Notre Dame, whether it was Miami, you would put those three schools ahead of Ohio State going into that that June 23rd official visit and even coming out of the June 23rd official visit. Something has changed really within the past week that has made this go from a, okay, there's seven guys here this weekend, just at best, maybe they go six for seven unless something crazy happens and then Justin Scott ends up here. Well, something crazy happened and now Justin Scott kicks off Larry Johnson's 2024 defensive line class in a major way and sets the tone for a class that even when you lose out Lightfoot, who we'll get into in a minute here, they have a real opportunity to put together a class that could potentially have three five-stars in it. And it starts with, as you mentioned, a five-star recruit in the Big Ten footprint at a place Ohio State should routinely be able to go in whenever they want to and pull these guys into Columbus. I think it will have a chance. It probably should be the most impactful. Cardinal Tate's hard. You note correctly that it, you know, when you list guys and stuff, it's like, well, he's from Chicago. He went to Florida for high school to go to an academy for two years. He's still a Chicago kid. The relationship starts in Chicago. But as far as guys who finished their high school careers in the Illinois and the Chicago area, it has a chance to be the most impactful Ohio State yeah. commitment since Jamarco Jones in the class of 2014. Jamarco Jones was a top 60 national recruited offensive tackle, winds up being a two year starter at left tackle for Ohio State. If people remember that recruitment, they had him, and then he went on a visit to Michigan State right at the end, and everybody freaked out, and then they locked him down. I went back, the 247 sports ratings since 2014, I looked at the top five players in Illinois, each of the last 11 cycles from 14 through this 2024 cycle, and because Carnell Tate's not counted there, and you point out correctly, they should be, but there's four Ohio State guys, and it's... Hmm. Justin Scott, it's Caleb Brown, who was here for a year, then transferred to Iowa. It's your friend and mine, Tuff Borland, who mm. wound up being a, a, a multiple-year yeah. starter at Ohio State. That's not nothing. And it's Jamarco Jones. When you look at the schools, who own, who wins in Illinois, right? Who wins in Illinois? Top five players, last. so it's like the last 55 top five players, the last 11 years of that. Notre Dame, seven. Michigan State, six. But it's all eight years ago when D'Antonio mm-hmm. was in his heyday. It's nothing lately. It's Ohio State, Michigan, Iowa, and Mizzou, four, which all of those make sense. It's Northwestern, three, makes sense. And then it's, a you know, scattering here and there. So Ohio State has been in there, but this is, this is a win over a couple different things. It winds up that Lightfoot and Scott wind up going to Ohio State and to Miami. And so, as we always talk about, Stephen, there's not winning, and then there's who did you lose to? So that the outcome for Ohio State for these two really good Chicago players, Scott's the number one player in Illinois, Lightfoot's the number three player in Illinois, that the outcome is one to Ohio State and one to the ACC. None to Notre Dame, none to Michigan. None to Brett Bielema in Illinois. No, no Bielema getting some juice. No Iowa, right? No, Nobody that hurts them. Mm-hmm. And when Justin Scott made his commitment Sunday night, I follow a lot of Notre Dame writers. There was a big reaction because mm-hmm. that hurt Notre Dame because as much as it was a surprise for Ohio State, right, it was a surprise against Notre Dame. Justin Scott was originally supposed to commit back on January 31st. And he keeps that date. He's probably headed to Notre Dame. 
That was where all his momentum was at that point. And I wrote this on the site when uh, after the Justin Scott commitment. Him backing off that commitment did all Ohio State needed in that recruitment, clearly. They just needed time. And they got six more months of time to figure out how they were going to make this work. And it ends up in a big splash. This, I don't want to, this caught a lot of people off guard. This was just not the way that this seemed like it was going for months and months on end. So this is a really big get at a really important time for Larry Johnson, as I said, coming off of last year. And to further your point about Illinois guys, there's four top 100 guys in the, out of Illinois in this cycle. Only one of them is staying in the Big Ten footprint. That's not Justin Scott. And that's Cam Williams as a wide receiver, number 35 player, number nine wide receiver, who was just like never on Ohio State's radar. So even that doesn't hurt you because Brian Hartline's your wide receiver coach. And so if he's not going after that guy, it's probably because he's going after five stars that he's probably going to get, like Jeremiah Smith and Mylon Graham. And then Christian Tecker, I hope I'm saying that correctly, number 90 player, number seven tight end. I mean, you've got Jelani Thurman already on your roster, and you went your backyard and you went to Tennessee to get your tight ends. And so Keenan Bailey's already set. So the only possible ones that could have hurt you were Justin Scott and Marquise Lightfoot. And he's headed to Miami for reasons that aren't just simply you lost a recruiting battle. So let's talk about Larry Johnson. And let's do that next after this on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Maurice and Stephen Means breaking down a big get for Ohio State on the recruiting trail and a guy they didn't get on back-to-back days. We're bringing this to you on July 4th. Justin Scott commits on Sunday. Marquise Lightfoot commits to Miami on Monday. I... I would say, I don't know how to characterize it. I think there have been whispers, questions, reasonable discussion about whether Larry Johnson was, I don't know. I don't want to say losing, losing it. it because that's not, well. <laughs> I'll, I'll say it. I'll, I'll say it. It's it shifted. It's gone from like people being worried about him potentially retiring and him having to come out every spring and say, I'll retire when I want to retire to the conversation shifting to, oh, I hope he doesn't retire to, okay, when's this dude retiring? Because it seems like he's lost it. So it's hard because as soon as you get to a certain age, and there's a lot of ageism in the world, and uh, it's unfortunate, but when you get to a certain point, people start expecting you to retire, and then the expectation of that does have a negative impact on you. Because it's, well, are you going to be here for my whole career? And you like you mm-hmm. can't avoid that. But that, that doesn't mean you're supposed to retire when you're 51. Like, what do you, like, I, I don't know what the right answer is to that. But there is a lot of energy that goes into recruiting. There's a lot of personal relations. Like, it's hard. Recruiting, college football recruiting is difficult. Relationship building takes a lot of work. And I'll tell you, when I'm Larry Johnson's age, which is like 70 or 71, I'm not going to be doing this. So Larry Johnson has earned a lot of capital. Larry Johnson has has been as good Mm -hmm. as anybody who has ever done it at the job he has, which is being a college football defensive line coach. And that is in terms of development and recruiting. But when you stop getting the five stars and you stop turning your recruits into first round picks, which has kind of been the case for a year or two, you know, it's not certainly not unreasonable to wonder. Like to mm-hmm. be like, ah, get this guy out of here. I mean, I don't think we're, you know, ah, blah, blah. that's, you know. But so what does this say? So what is this, like, what does this mean, Stephen? And should it encourage fans for who else might come in this defensive line cycle just for 
for what Larry Johnson like does it re- should it reassure people? I think so. I'm going to bring Tony Offord into this conversation because I think there's a lot of similarities between two of the more valuable recruiters on Ohio State's recruiting staff, whether you're talking about openers or closers. They both get the job done when it's time to get the job done. Chase Young, uh, Zach Harrison, JT Tuimaloal, Jack Sawyer, Kenyatta Jackson, uh, Tyleek Williams, Caden Curry, Mike Hall. Uh, for uh, Tony Offord, uh, uh, J.K. Dobbins, Travion Henderson, Evan Pryor, James Peoples. They get it done when it's time to get it done. But they recruit in a way that can be equally as impactful in a positive way as it is in a negative way. Because when it works, it's like, whoa, Tony Offord got two top 100 running backs in the same class? Whoa, Larry Johnson's got two five stars? What What is happening here? But then also, when it doesn't work, you're like, dude, why are you not doing your job? Why is this guy still here? Why are we still dealing with this? And the reason why I'm saying that is both of those guys know what they want, and they lock in with those guys. If you ever look at the running back or the defensive line recruiting boards, it's never outrageously long. It's defensive lines long because you need to fill four positions, but it's not long and relative to its position. And Ohio State as a whole is like that as well. Clemson recruits this way. They don't just throw offers out there. Every offer they send out is committable and it makes the offer that much more rare and that much more special in the eyes of everybody, which is why when you look at some of these SEC schools, when they'll throw like 250 offers out per cycle, Ohio State and Clemson, they might not even get a hundred guys that they offer in a cycle. And Clemson is even more extreme than that. But when Larry Johnson locks in on Chase Young and tells him he's the only defensive end he's recruiting in a cycle and it works, bow down. But what if that didn't work? And then Ohio State had been left with no defensive ends in 2017. It's the same thing with Zach Harrison. He had to wait up to the final buzzer and it worked. He had to wait with JT even longer than the final buzzer. He had to wait till July Two weeks before fall camp started, and it worked. But is that time and effort work it, worth it if it doesn't pay off? Because in 2023, it didn't pay off. You waited up to the buzzer for Mateo, Damon, and Keon Keeley, and it did not work. And so now you're thinking, we do this a lot when we have meetings. It's like, okay, if you're doing this, what are you doing? What aren't you doing? If you're not going to do this, what are you doing instead? How are you maximizing your time? And when it doesn't work, you didn't maximize your time. Because you could have been recruiting all these other guys that you missed out on. And so here we are again in a situation where it's clear at this point. It takes longer to figure out what Larry Johnson's board is because he keeps everything so close to the vest in a way that is almost applaudable. But it's clear what his board is now. It's Marquise Lightfoot. It's Justin Scott. It's Jaden Jackson, a kid out of Texas who goes to IMG. Who He's in the 400s, but they really like him because he's a bigger dude who is – he can move. It's Dylan Stewart, a five-star. It's Edric Houston, a five-star. There's a guy, uh, Charleston Collins, who Larry Johnson's kind of recruiting as well, who's committed to Arkansas right now. So that might be one to keep an eye on, depending on how some of these other ones work out. But that's he's locked in. So if it works out, Larry Johnson did it again. That's going to be the headlines. If it doesn't work out, we're going to be going, Larry Johnson did it again, but in a negative way because it's a complete repeat of 2023. So – Part of this is it's going to benefit Ohio State if by the end of July we know the decisions of all these guys because that gives Ohio State time to regroup if they lose. But if they win, then Larry Johnson's just done. But that's the risk you take when you lock in on guys like this and you don't widen the net of who your targets are. 
I like this battle for Ohio State because it's difficult. You try to look for trends in things, but everything in everything in sports, especially in football, mm -hmm. whether it's in games or in recruiting, is small sample size. So you could look at the three guys you looked at last year. Keon Keeley was the number one defensive lineman in the class, number two overall player. Damon Wilson's the number 20 overall player in the class. And Mateo Uyunglele is the number 44 overall player in the class. Those are the guys that Larry Johnson's all in on. Mateo Uyunglele is a California kid, and he winds up going to Oregon. And it's like, okay, well, I, yeah, that's pretty defensible. Like, that's not a mm -hmm. shot. Damon Wilson is a Florida kid, and he wound up going to Georgia. Oh, you're a defensive player who went to Georgia? Oh, well, what else is new? <laughs> that's pretty defensible. And Keon Keeley is tough because Keon Keeley feels sort of like this Justin Scott situation because Keon Keeley, he even Keeley even committed to Notre Dame. Yep. Then he flips away from Notre Dame. So in both circumstances, Keon Keeley last year, five-star number two player in the country, Justin Scott right now, top 15 player in the country, five-star. Ohio State beats Notre Dame for yep. this guy. But last year, then Alabama got him. It's like, oh, yeah, what? You lost a recruiting battle to Alabama? Has that ever happened to anybody before? So Alabama kind of comes in and swoops in at the end, right? So mm -hmm. when you look at those individually, there's nothing indefensible in any of that. And I remember as you talked about it, Stephen, along the way, it's like one for three. They'd take one for three, maybe cross their fingers on two for three. Nobody mm -hmm. ever thought they were going three for three on those guys last year. And then you go over for three, and then you say, well, that's it. Get rid of the old guy. And it's like, okay, was it that? But now you have this, and it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe it's just three reasonable individual recruiting situations. But by the way, make sure Alabama doesn't come in and steal Justin Scott, by the way. Just as a heads up to Ohio State, maybe like keep uh, you know, keep your eye out for that. <laughs> Justin Scott's four official visits was June 2nd to Georgia, was June 9th to Michigan, was June 16th to Miami, and was June 23rd to Ohio State. So to, it feels like, right, okay. Michigan, Ohio State, he made his choice. Like, what? Yep. Why? Why would someone now flip? I mean, you're just picking. There's not. It's the same vibe. Miami, Miami gets Marquise Lightfoot, and we'll talk about that in a second. But you know, it's sort of like, well, they got this guy, they got this guy. I don't know that you're now on alert because Miami kind of got, and, and they're a little one's an edge, one's a, a tackle, but still. And then there's Georgia, and maybe, but now it's a Midwestern kid. So, mm -hmm. like, a lot of this makes sense. Now, like, in hindsight, it's like, oh, yeah, Justin Scott to Ohio State makes total sense. But re I think part of the reason, probably, Stephen, that people weren't leaning that way was because they didn't get the two Florida kids and the California kids last year, when actually this is a very different recruitment. And so this is reasonable. And maybe it's a reminder that sometimes what we think are trends aren't trends. But also, this is huge for Ohio State to get Justin Scott. Uh, we're talking a lot about Larry, and it's Larry first always because this is defensive line we're talking about. But um, they peer recruit here. It's it's not just one person ever recruiting. Parker Fleming did play a role here. So we said a lot. Yeah, we said a lot. We've said a lot about, yeah, we talked a lot of bad about Parker Fleming over the last what? year and a half. Um, how? But he, how is that possible? Parker Fleming? What? Parker Fleming? Is area. best friends with Justin Scott. I mean, sometimes really? it might be, it might be, sometimes it might be an area thing. It might be you might just know the coach because you guys have been wow. kind of coming up as well. So, you know, 
to, to an extent, moly. we'll give Parker Fleming a little bit of credit to here, but the most 95% of the credit still goes to Larry Johnson might be the best defensive line coach of all time. Let's not, let's not get it twisted here. Okay. But shout out to Parker Fleming. I think you're making a point though, especially because look at the teams that Ohio state lost to last year, Oregon wins in California. That's been a thing. That's always gone on. Plus like NIL exists now. So Oregon wins in California. Uh, Oregon's a, a pretty solid football program for the past 25 years here. I mean, they played in the national championship about a decade ago. So they're not that far removed from that. And they flirted with the playoff a couple of times. Phil Knight and I, all that wrapped up together. Plus Mateo's brother, DJ goes to Oregon state now. So, you know, it's a little bit easier on the family if they all got to go to one state to watch their sons play football every single week. So that as well. Then you're talking about two SEC kids. Lose, you lost to the two premier programs. And the two programs who are responsible for why we look at the SEC the way we look at the SEC right now. So, okay, that is what it is. This year, you've got a Midwest kid in Justin Scott. The other five stars, Education, who, yes, he's from Georgia, but that doesn't feel like it's a culture fit. This feels more like an Ohio State-Clemson battle, an Ohio State versus the SEC battle. So that's an Ohio State's favor. And then with uh, Dylan Stewart, it feels like, it felt like at least South Carolina was in the lead. And so Ohio State's battling South Carolina. You're not battling Alabama and Georgia. And you're not battling teams who have been the – faces of college football for the past decade and a half or so here in the same situation so it does feel like a more reasonable fight while last year even if the totality might tick you off as a fan individually you understand and you can be a like reasonable with why Ohio State lost each and every one of those battles when you see this happen should we assume that it is some kind of signal that Ohio State's NIL situation is better than it was in the last recruiting cycle, that they're able to do something like this, even if it's a Midwest kid, even if it's Larry Johnson, even if there's all these other things we talked about? I think so, honestly. And with both, the loss and the win, I think it's proof. Because last year, it felt like when it came down the NIL, Ohio State couldn't compete. It's a difference between not being able to do something versus not wanting to do something, right? Those are two different conversations. So... With Justin Scott, I don't I don't know if Justin Scott's a Buckeye a year a year ago. If that if that's part of this equation here, and it feels like Ohio State can't compete because Miami was part of this equation. Miami actually started to steal a little bit of momentum from Notre Dame heading into the summer. So that you know, we talked about some of the programs who are NIL is clearly be being a factor. Miami's thrown in there with teams like Texas A and M. With Lightfoot, this felt like Ohio State was an official visit away from wrapping this up. And then it's, can they survive the USC Miami visits? Well, the answer to that is no. And it feels like part of that reason is Miami may have presented something that not only could Lightfoot not resist or not, you know, reject, but also Ohio state just wasn't willing to go that for that further step there. And if you feel like you're in a better place with NIL to the point that it's not that you can't go that further step, you just don't want to go that further step. I take some solace in that because that means you will go that further step with somebody who you feel like is worth it. There's recruiting momentum. And then there's also recruiting situations where when one guy picks a school, it maybe lessens the chances of another guy picking that same school. I still remember, you know, having conversations with people of 
they felt like that Lathan Ransom and Bijan Robinson went to the same high school in Arizona. Once they got Lathan Ransom, it almost there's some people around Ohio State who thought it lessened the chances yeah. of getting Bijan because it's like and Thunder. Lathan's going to Ohio <laughs> State and oh, so is Bijan. Even though mm-hmm. Bijan's a bigger name, so here you have these two Illinois kids, and it's like okay, Justin Scott goes to Ohio State, and then if you're Marquise Lightfoot and you're you're pulling the trigger second, if you pick the same school, there's an also in your commitment. <laughs> yeah. If you pick at your own school, there's no also. Now there's 25 kids who are going to be in your class either way, but maybe not down the street, maybe not in the same like the same coverage area. So I. I have no idea, but Stephen, the idea that if Justin Scott goes to Miami, maybe Ohio State gets Marquise Lightfoot, and I think there's probably maybe some NIL. Miami's like, hey, we need a, di- hey, we didn't get Scott. Let's make sure we get right that just mm-hmm. perception plus allocation of resources. Maybe like Ohio State was never going to go two for two, especially on back to back days with two kids from the Chicago area. And then if that's the case, they'll take how it went down. But do you think that kind of thing can matter when kids are making decisions like this? I mean, they're teenagers. So there's a lot of things that actually don't matter in the real world that matter to teenagers. So maybe, maybe I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to put it in the same place as Bijan and Latham. Cause that's also just two kids from the same school. That's as, you know, also as it's going to get, I, I don't know how well Justin Scott and Marquise life would know each other for that to have been a, a factor here, but maybe on the, if it's not, I wouldn't say it's a top five reason, but it might be reason number 11 when you're trying to divvy up stuff, because these are still teenagers we talk about and everybody wants to have their moment because other than that, it wouldn't make sense because like you just said, one's an edge and one's a tackle. So they kind of fit together and for what, how you want to build a Ooh. class. Yeah. They, I think they do play each other. Those they play each other this year. Oh, they played each well. other this year. I, I think they, I just saw they played each other in girls basketball. So I think they probably played each other in football too. <laughs> Saint Ignatius for Justin Scott. Can it's a quick Google search. You get what you take, what you get. No, that's I was great. Like, logic, oh, Kenwood though. Academy. Because <laughs> yeah. the score is like fifty-five thirty-three, and I was like, that's a pretty high-scoring football game. And it's a girls basketball game, but still, anyway, they're associated with each other. They're both in Chicago. Saint Ignatius okay. for Justin Scott. Kenwood Academy. For Marquise Lightfoot. Okay, let's talk about Marquise Lightfoot. It's still so they did this on and 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 this is how media works. They announced it on Monday on a two four seven sports show. They said I think they said it was going to be at five o'clock, and then like they did a show for half an hour, and then they did it. Yeah. So it took forever. And it's fine. People need to get ratings. I get it. Someday we'll do it on Buckeye Talk. We'll be like announcing at six o'clock a live recruitment on Buckeye Talk, and it'll be eight thirty. I promise yep. you, we are doing two and a half hours before we get to our Buckeye Talk recruiting announcement. There were still like crystal balls and predictions, like for him for Ohio State, and then it's mm-hmm. one of those things. I like recruiting coverage. I like talking about recruiting. I think it's fun. I think it's interesting. I think it matters. All like the movement and all the stuff, it's just in, it's like inside out. Yeah. The, the old Pixar movie. It's just in a kid's brain. That's all it is. I don't know how much it can move. Like one person is making the decision and it's just what he thinks. But all the movement, Stephen, it felt like even maybe Monday morning, it was still Ohio State. And by the time we got to the announcement, it was like, nope, everybody's saying it's going to be Miami. So we don't know what it was. But in the end, it felt like nobody 
in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, no Ohio State fans were actually shocked when at 5.30 on Monday evening, Marquise Lightfoot picked Miami. Yeah, I think you there's rumblings that can start up, and you 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 poke your head up, but I don't want to, you know, you don't want to scare a fan base every time something happens because, you know, I just think sometimes information overload, especially for fan bases and recruiting, can get a little ridiculous here. So you go, okay, maybe you look into that. And you watch things, you watch things, you watch things. And then I think the Justin Scott thing actually just threw everybody off because you should have been looking into that. And instead it's like, wait, what? (laughs) Justin Scott's committing to Ohio State? Okay, we're seeing how this class is going to go. And so now instead of thinking about maybe you should have checked back in on that Miami thing on a Friday, it's like, or a Sunday or even Monday morning, it's like, well, if Justin Scott's coming here and none of us thought that, what is Larry Johnson cooking up in 2024? So that's your – that's recruiting momentum though, right? One thing happens and it shifts everybody's idea of what can happen next. But then you go back and you poke at that thing again. It's like, okay, that's not changing there. And it one side seems confident in a annoyed way and not in a actual confident way. And it's like, okay, that kid's probably, probably going to end up at the other school. And that's typically how you get within 90 minutes of a guy making a decision. All the crystal balls, which have been one way for months, end up flipping to another school. He announced it, and all the people sitting behind him like had green and orange balloons that they yeah. sort of threw in the air. And I, maybe they just were out of red balloons at the party store. Sometimes you go Probably. to a party store and you got to take what they get. Yeah. And it's like, hey, they only have purple. And he's like, I guess I'm going to Kansas <laughs> State. Sorry. Like you just got to the balloons, make the call sometimes. This is – I don't know if this is a science or not. We had a guy on, I think, last summer, Bud Davis, who breaks down some recruiting stuff, who who mm-hmm. analyzed some of this, has analyzed some of this. And I know you talked about it in a text to our subscribers. By the way, if you want to be a text subscriber, you get information about stuff like this as it happens, 614-350-3315, two-week free trial. And I know you texted this out, Stephen. The idea of when a player takes an official visit to your school. And in this situation, Justin Scott, as we said, Ohio State was his final official visit. He did four visits in June. He did Ohio State on June 23rd. That was last. Marquise Lightfoot did four official visits in June. Ohio State was first on June 9th. Then he did USC, Illinois, and Miami. So in both these situations, the last school that got the visit got the player. But yet, with the Lightfoot momentum, as you mentioned, did it sort of feel like, hey, he came here, he mm-hmm. had a great visit to Ohio State, they got in early and set the mark for everyone else to try to live up to? I don't know, Stephen. And, and some sometimes it's just logistics, and you can't have 130 kids in on the same weekend and right. nobody the next weekend, but you can prioritize things. What do, you, what do you make of this that in, we had back-to-back recruitments on a Sunday and a Monday where both the picks were the each time it was the final official visit? I don't know if that means that – the and I think the stat the guy threw out when you had him on a pod was 65% of the time if, that, if the last guy, last visit typically wins. I don't know if there's a perfect science to that, though. And I'm gonna, once again, I'm going to use two recruits that are perfect examples of this. Sammy Brown, a five-star linebacker, number 15 player, number two linebacker in the class. He had all these official visits lined up for the June. Clemson went first, and then he committed to Clemson and shut everything down. Bryce Young's last official visit was to Ohio State, and he didn't even go home. Like, he committed to Ohio State the first night of his official visit. 
that Friday, sitting in the cafeteria. Bryce West. Bryce West. Bryce Young, excuse me, committed to Alabama and now is playing for the Panthers. Bryce West committed yes. to Ohio State on the first start of his official visit and went the last week. But what if you flip that? What if Bryce West would have went June 2nd and Sammy Brown had decided, I'm going to do Clemson last, which you have still got the same result? What, what if Sammy Brown would have waited till June, June 9th or the following week? You know, what he's, he probably still just ends up at Clemson because he was always headed to Clemson. Bryce, uh, Bryce West probably are, ends up to Ohio State regardless of what week because he was going to Ohio State. So I don't know what the perfect science is, but as I said in the text, you can go first and set the tone and maybe be so good that like with Sammy Brown, he shuts everything else down because he doesn't want to play this game anymore. Or you can get the last word and go last. But you're also in both of those situations, you're taking a risk. Going first, you're taking a risk that now you've got to survive the whole month, hoping that another school doesn't steal your thunder. Or you can go last. And now you're hoping that another school isn't so great that he just never ends up making the visit. Like that's what happened with Sammy Brown. He never made his Ohio State visit. So the chances of even trying to steal some thunder never really existed. So it's interesting with this one because it does feel like with both of those situations, going last had an impact, but more importantly, a week removed from going last is where really where you saw the impact more than 48 hours after you saw the impact. So I don't know what the perfect science is. It just might be a kid by kid basis. And it also just might depend on who's on your visit with you because for Bryce West, yeah. he's going in a week where now they legitimately might go seven for seven on all of those prospects. Guys like Aaron Scott's in that group. Demarion Winton, who also committed during that visit, is in that group. Miles Lockhart, the cornerback, who will commit on July 6th. He's in that group. Uh, Kingston Vialamu Asa, the linebacker from California, was in that group. So that just be it, – it might not be as much about when you get it, but how you pair people together. There's a reason why certain commits come during certain weeks in the June official visits. Okay. When we come back, we will talk about the state of Ohio State defensive recruiting compared to previous years. And we will talk about when commitment dates are set for some of these other defensive guys and what it would do for their class if they reel in more of them. We'll do that mm -hmm. next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Steven. So I was just regathering my thoughts. And I know that you and Nathan did, I think, at least did three recruiting pods while I was out. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I don't know what you said because I only listen when it's my own voice. Actually, uh, same. I'm, I, my daughter is rewatching. It's, it's okay. We're just, we're, what, what are we going to hide our egos? My daughter's yeah. rewatching Lost. So I'm spending all my time rewatching Lost mm. right now. And I'm not spending my time listening to, to our own pod. But also, you did were you on a vacation. I'm not listening to anything college football while yeah. I'm on vacation. No, no. There's a lot of things that happened while I was on vacation. That's uh, true. Th there is a – you guys, if you guys want to go listen to the latest college football survivor show, we started our conference playoff previews and we started with the Big 12. And I didn't know that Bob Huggins quit. I learned it on the show <laughs> because I was in France. And like I said, like, that didn't get to France. It's like, hey – Bob Huggins. So anyway, there are things that I didn't know. So if you guys talked about this before, I apologize. Ohio State defensive recruiting. I went back to 2017 because 2017 and 2018, they're the number two classes in the country. And again, 2017, we're talking about, we're talking defense first. 2017, we're talking Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, 
Baron Browning, Sean Wade at the top of that class, mm-hmm. like three top 25 national players that are all four, four national players. I think are the top four guys in that class ahead of anybody in the 2017 class. Yeah, they got Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis and some other really, Tate Martell, some Trayvon Grimes, some other really important guys. It's defense first. Mm-hmm. So I went back and I, and I know I know you fiddle around with it and people, if, if they want to find it, it's 247sports.com. You go to, to Ohio State and then over on, the, when you look at their class, over on the side, there's a tab that says more and you click on more and then you go to class calculator. And Favorite then within that, the you can go to different years. And you can take players out of the class and see what their rate, what their class rating is. You can add players to the class and see what their class rating is. So I was dorking around with that. Looking only, I just took all the offensive players out of their classes. So I was trying to get a defensive rating. And then just as a comparison, Stephen, I just did it for Georgia also. Because it's like, all right, they're the standard. And it's not to say that Ohio State should recruit defensively as well as Georgia does, but it's like, well, they're the best of the best right now at this. So what, what's it look like? Mm-hmm. 2017 and 2018, just the defensive recruits, Ohio state's ahead of Georgia. Like it's, they, they have high, more highly rated guys. And then in 2019 and 2020, their defensive recruiting like falls off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And it is during the transition from Ryan day from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day, it is Jeff Halfley being here for a year and then leaving. It is a lot of transition. And their defensive recruiting, their recruiting overall server, but their defensive recruiting is not great in 2019 and 2020. Then in 2021, it's back. It's JT Tuimoloau, it's Jack Sawyer, it's Mike Hall, it's Jordan Hancock, it's J.K. Johnson, it's back it is back to the level almost that it was in 17 and 18 overall point totals and this is hard i could i couldn't get the average rating and stuff it's just it's the way 247 sports does it credit to them but for instance in the 2021 class george's overall point total for defensive players was 240 ohio state's was 233 it was almost the same and I'm calculating stuff. And I know it. it's a little bit weird. I think there's like a, almost like a, if you have nobody in the class, you still have 100 points kind of thing. It's like, what's the SAT yeah. that points to start? Yeah. So like, it's not, because their overall class rating is like 300. It's like, why is it all, why is defense only two? Uh. Steven got big eyeballs when I said that. So it's not perfect, but it's a, I'm trying to find comparisons to each other. The bottom line is in 2021, just defensive recruiting, Ohio State and Georgia are very similar. And by overall point totals, even if I'm just telling you what they were in 17, just Ohio State defensive players, 250. When you do the class calculator, 18, 266, 19, 166, 2020, 186, 2021, back to 232. Okay. So like this is their backup. Then it falls off again, 2022 and 2023, it's 217 and 203. So here's my bottom. Here's the point I want to make. And I don't want to get, maybe I did. Maybe I hit the wrong button a little bit, but I'm trying to compare Ohio State to itself mostly. I think Ohio State has lived up to its defensive recruiting standard once in the last five cycles. Mm -hmm. They didn't do it in 19 and 20, and I think it's transition. And they didn't do it in 22 and 23. And I think 2022 is mostly a Jaheim Singletary decommitment at safety, a Desan McCullough decommitment at linebacker, 
and a Terrence Brooks decommitment in the secondary as well. And that's a little bit, little Al Washington, a little, hey, we didn't do this exact. It's it's some decommitments that really hurt. And then in 2023, it's the thing we talked about. If they got, if they had signed Caleb Downs and Keon Keeley, they would have been at the level at their standard. So it's like you add two five stars, which is like, okay, well, yeah, of course, two five stars make a huge difference. But it's not like they were completely out of it. In a in a world where their NIL is better, they might have landed both those guys. So I think there was some staff maybe didn't get it done in 2022, and they lost some guys. 2023, they couldn't seal the deal because of NIL. So anyway, four out of the last five years, their defensive recruiting wasn't good enough. But I think you know the excuses. And I don't know that the excuses are replicable. Like, I don't think that they are things that have to hang with them. And so now, in 2024, even though 2021, Stephen, is the only year in the last, in the previous five, where the defensive recruiting was good enough, I do think 2021 is more what they can be and should be on a regular basis. When NIL is figured out, when the coaching staff is stable, when you have recruiters in place, Tim Walton, Paralelio Eliano, James Laurinaitis helping out, right? You have guys like that. I think 2021 is the standard, is the new, is the standard they should be able to live up to. And frankly, that standard, Georgia's gone up a level in defensive recruiting the last two years, but that standard is not super far under Georgia. What do you think what this, and we'll talk specifically about what their rating might be if they add some guys to this class. How should people, because I think we've talked, Stephen, a lot on this podcast, and you've written a lot, like we've all, like, hey, what's up with the defensive recruiting? It's not good yeah. as the offensive recruiting. What are they going to do? And maybe even in a world where you're one for five the previous five years, it's actually not as bad as you think because there are reasons for it that have been fixed. Yeah. 2021 was so good because Kerry Combs was back and everybody was so excited about it. Let's just be frank. And And they had... <laughs> And they had a five-star defensive end in the backyard in Jack Sawyer. And they had a, like a four-and-a-half-star defensive tackle in Cleveland in my call. Bingo. And then Larry Johnson did some work on JT and pulled yep. him out of Washington. Yeah. like Because even the, it's like Kerry Combs and Larry and Larry Johnson did what Kerry Combs and Larry Johnson were doing the first time before Kerry Combs left. Like, I, I, you threw Al Washington in there, which, not to take a dig, but – you brought up the Ohio State beat Notre Dame for defensive lineman the last two years. The only difference is this time around, Alabama didn't come knocking. Well, guess who Notre Dame's defensive line coach is right now? So, yeah, if I mean, wanna, the, if you want to keep validating the why the skins he's, are on the wall, the skins it, are on the literally. wall, and it's not we're not personally attacking Al no, Washington. The skins are on the wall. He never landed a linebacker at Ohio State that was outside the comfort zone and it yep. seems like the same thing's happening at Notre like, Dame. If you want yeah, this is it's proof of why he's not here anymore. Well part of the proof of why he is not Ohio State's linebacker coach anymore. Go to Notre Dame and look at it. But this is really the first time in that window where it feels like not only do they have coaches who are competent on the recruiting tra- trail and want to do it, um or or at least have a lot of upside in what they can do but also the difference between this year and last year, if you take away the NIL stuff, is the defense was actually better in 2022 for the first time since Ryan Day's taken over, and it was like really his program because 2019 is a height, but it's also not square one. 
for Ryan Day. He was just that was that was Urban Meyer's talent. Let's just be frank about it. 2020 was the first time a player was getting meaningful snaps that was from a Ryan Day class. And that's okay. That's how this works. You get the benefit from the guy before you the first couple of years. And it's been downhill ever since. And part of this, all the staff change over, but also guys don't really know what's happening on the defense. The fact that the defense was better last season, now kids are paying attention. But also, you brought back the entire staff who can tell a player this is exactly where you fit in. When you're recruiting K.J. Bolden, it's three safety spots. You can tell him exactly where he fits in, how they can maximize it. Even if the guy currently playing him isn't very good, it's like, see, that's why we need you, K.J. Larry Johnson's Larry Johnson. So he's out of this equation right now. James Laurinaitis being here, and you've got two linebacker spots, we're already seeing the payoff of that. Tim Walton, we're already seeing the payoff of that. But when you bring back the entire staff from a defense that took steps in the positive direction, that's why you feel more comfortable. George is the standard, yes, but their their defensive recruiting is equivalent to Ohio State's wide receiver and quarterback recruiting because that's why they win. So that's not going to go downhill for a while. So I looked at players who had at least a 96 rating for the 247 sports composite they give all players a rating it's a decimal it's a point like if you're perfect you're 1.00000 so highly rated guys are 0.99983 or whatever Mm -hmm. so i looked at everybody who was at least 0.96 or higher it's roughly like top 75 guys defensive side of the ball 0.96 0.96 or higher for Ohio State. Class of 2017, six guys just on defense. Class of 2018, six guys just on defense. Class of 2019, one. Class of 2020, one. Class of 2021, six. Class of 2022, four. Class of 2023, three. Right now they have two, but they are in pretty darn good position with another four. Maybe. So it gets mm-hmm. back to that threshold, Stephen. And this is where a couple five stars make the difference. It's like, I don't know. Would you like a couple all Americans thrown onto your defense? It's like, hey, the defense wasn't good enough in uh in 2021. I don't know. You you want Marshawn Lattimore and Nick Bosa? How would that help at all? Yeah, it would help. So mm-hmm. okay, like get a like two more guys like that can make a world of difference. And so when we look at these guys, Stephen. And and I will say, it's it's just a reminder that class of twenty twenty is 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 really because twenty nineteen is really like uh like we're, what are we doing? It's, it's hard. Twenty twenty like is, is yeah elite. yeah. But even twenty 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 so offensive heavy when you really look back yeah. on it when you're talking about top one hundred top one fifty recruits. So there were ten. This is just a reminder of like what happens. When the defensive recruiting isn't quite good enough, what happens? Mm-hmm. So these, this is a class of 2020 defensive recruits, fourth-year guys right now, 2021, 20, mm-hmm. 22, 23, fourth-year guys. They had 10 defensive signees in that class. The highest ranked with Cody Simon, he's going to be a strong backup this year. Darian Henry Young, already transferred. Colby Cowan, already transferred. Court Williams, high hopes, has been hurt his whole career. Lathan Ransom will be a starter. Ryan Watts already transferred. Cam Martinez fighting to start. Mitchell Melton has been hurt, might fight to be the Jack when he's mm-hmm. healthy. Legend Cavazos already gone. Ty Hamilton, a rotational guy on the at defensive tackle. So that's 
four of the 10 are already gone. One's a sure starter and another three or four could help. Or Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Baron Browning, Sean Wade. Like that's what we're talking about. Those are your defensive recruits, your fourth year defensive players who have been here the whole time. That's all 10 of them. So you need to be better than that. Mm -hmm. You need to be better than that. So as we talk about, hey, what can this defense do? Still be reminded there's still a little bit of that left on this team, that they're not quite all the way there yet. But let's talk about what they can be. They have to, Steven. That's no offense to anybody there. But that's not good enough. But I don't think they're going to have a defensive recruiting class like that. That's kind of the bottom. That's like – yeah. They're not going to have another class like that for the four ever, ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe they shouldn't. With, but that's what's not good enough. But that's that shouldn't be the reference point anymore. No, but also I think to your as we get further and further away from that class and they get back to the standard, it's going to make more sense that that class ended up being like that. Brian Day's a quarterback guy, and Brian Hartline's Brian Hartline. So it's it, it, even at that point it was kind of cooking already. So it's understandable why quarterback and wide receiver and then Paris Johnson being Paris are the only spots that had any success in that class. Because as you're probably going to get into, we saw a little bit more success in 2021. And even with how crazy things have been, you see a little bit more success in 2022, even though it takes a slide back. And in 2023 is probably the last time it falls off the rails that way. We're not even guys like Larry Johnson can get it done. Okay. So let's talk about this. I have six guys and again, I'm sure you you've, you guys have talked about them before, but we're just going to get very specific on announcement dates, who Ohio State is competing against, what people are predicting. And I will just say, just looking at this, doing the math, if they would get all six of these guys, they would be just with these six. So you add it to the five defensive commits they currently have, they would be at the level Mm-hmm. of the 2021 class. They would be at the level of the JT, Jack Sawyer, Mike Hall, Jordan Hancock class if they get these six. So this is the threshold. Let's talk about Aaron Scott. Cornerback, number 52 overall player. He has set a commitment date of July 30th. Yep. I am now, we like the crystal balls on three also has this thing called the recruiting prediction machine right now. They have him 95% to Ohio state in the recruiting prediction machine. It feels like it's Ohio state or Michigan. Yep. How big a deal is Aaron Scott? Again, a July 30th commitment date. And Steven, do you think they're going to get him? Yes, I do. Um, I thought Oregon in there as well as a heavy competitor for, because he grew up loving Oregon. Cause you got to remember this kid was like 10 eight, nine, 10 years old when Oregon was in his heyday with the jerseys and whatnot. Um, yes, I still do. I think Michigan's made a really, really strong push almost to the point that it's getting weird. Like Charles Woodson has tweeted at him like three or four times over the past week. Recruiting is a weird place, man. It's, I don't, I don't know if that gets stressed out enough. I don't know if he needs a hall of fame NFL player, former Heisman trophy candidate tweeting at him for the entire world to see, but I do. And some of this is just based in, Tugging at the heart a little bit. There was some talks that maybe it would be July 4th and it's officially July 30th now, which is also his father's birthday, who grew up an Ohio State fan. And to tug on the heartstrings, it just, I don't know what that looks like to announce you're going to school 
on the day of your dad's birthday and you choose the rival school of the school your dad grew up rooting for? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. That's just, that's kind of mean, don't you think, to do to, to do your dad? I think, I think we can read some tea leaves here. I think you that's know, a very good read on that. You know, at, at the, not the same time, Ohio State. Like that. Yeah. Now, it's Ohio State and Michigan. I know Michigan for sure. I think Ohio State is on the same day. They're holding – there's like a little window in July where it's kind of an open period where you can have people on campus. Right now, we're in a dead period, so nobody can do much of anything, which is why it's commit season. They're, Ohio State holds a barbecue at the end of July. I think Michigan is holding one that same day. So, I don't know. Michigan may be celebrating one, another commit, or Ohio State might be. But, yeah, the whole dad thing, it's like I just don't know what that looks like to be that mean to your dad that day. And make him just switch alliances on his birthday. Drop a, I'm taking my talents to Zingerman's Deli on your dad's birthday. You're not doing that, man. You're not doing that to your dad. (laughs) So Aaron Scott, defensive back uh, from Springfield High School, an Ohio kid with a dad who likes Ohio State. That's one. So Mm -hmm. that's a a big one. Never assume it, but that's a number 52 overall player in the country. Okay. Let's talk about Kingston Viliamu Asa. Mm-hmm. From St. John Bosco in California, the same school of Wyatt Davis, the same school of Court Williams. Mm-hmm. He is a 6% in the recruiting prediction machine for Ohio State, according to On3. This is a heavy Notre Dame lean. He is down officially. His top three are Notre Dame, USC, and Ohio State. He is the number 103 player in the country, according to 247 Sports Composite. This is one of those, Stephen, where if he's going to USC, he's going to USC. Yep. St. John Bosco is doing it on the street. Like, what are you going to do? But if he's leaving, Ohio State has three weeks to be like, why would you come all the way out here when we have a better chance to win a national title? And by the way, go to work, James Laurinaitis. So this is a small Ohio State percentage right now. If you're battling USC, I don't like Ohio State's chances. Given what's happened with Ohio State and Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's gotten some. We've talked about that a lot, too. Marcus Freeman, they're doing work, man. You do not take it for granted what Notre Dame is now as as a recruiting competitor. Mm -hmm. But I would think Ohio State still has a shot here, Stephen. What's the read on this? I think if he leaves California, he's coming to Ohio State. And USC is an interesting variable because – his high school teammate, Peyton Woodyard, who's a top 100 safety, currently committed to Georgia. Nobody thinks that's going to hold. I think that's a flip to USC is on the way at some point here. He committed to Georgia so early, and you know Georgia's trying to bring in 70 million safeties because that's what you do when you're good at defense. You bring in every defensive player in the world. So I, I think that that's going to flip, eventually flip to USC. So how does that impact Kingston and his wanting willingness to stay home or not? If he leaves California, I think James Laurinaitis is the final nail in the coffin that gets him to Ohio State. And fun fact, Kingston was the first player Ohio State offered in 2024. He and Mateo and some other St. John Bosco, I think Peyton might have been on that trip too, but some St. John Bosco people came for day camps back in 21 when the world got back to normal. And he was the first guy that landed an offer. He's got the longest relationship with Ohio State of anybody. Um, Peyton Pierce and Garrett Stover have been up his butt trying to recruit him as well. And I just think that's another situation where if the battle is between Ohio State and Notre Dame, right now when it comes to top 100 recruits, I'm taking Ohio State to win. But as USC makes it very interesting of whether or not he stays home or not. Kingston Viliamu Asa, linebacker, number 103 player in the country. Let's go to Dylan Stewart. Defensive line, number nine player in the country. 
July or August? Not a date yet. Is that no correct, Stephen? Yeah. No Not date, a date right now. yet. But a top five of Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, and South Carolina. And when you put his name into the old Google machine or look on Twitter, there are a lot of really excited yeah. South Carolina people about this guy. And, you know, other schools get to recruit too. But this is a kid from the Washington, D.C. area. Mm-hmm. And so this is also, I mean, Larry Johnson, DMV, baby. D.C., Maryland, Virginia, that's where Larry Johnson does work. There's a lot about this that makes sense. He is 51.6% to Ohio State in the on three prediction machine. What should Ohio State be thinking here, Stephen? This, this is, this is a, a big one, especially when you think about pairing him with, with Justin Scott. Justin Scott at tackle, Dylan Stewart as a 6'5", 250-pound edge. You're in business then. Yeah, the past five days here have made me wish that I would have held off on my class prediction because a lot has changed this. And I'm not even talking about just with Justin Scott out of the blue, becoming an Ohio state commit. I said this on a pod at the time that I just didn't see Ohio state eventually beating out South Carolina. I thought this was South Carolina's battle to lose. And some things have been kind of happening in the backs in the behind the scenes and have become more and more rampant over the last week or so that's made Dylan Stewart to Ohio State a real possibility in a way that I honestly didn't think was the same viewpoint a week and a half ago at that. A lot has changed with that defensive line recruiting, so much so so that the dude that you thought was the safest bet is now headed to Miami, and the dude that you thought was probably the biggest long shot is currently sitting in your class as your only commit. I think Ohio State has a really good chance of, of winning this battle. And to the point of the DMV thing, he took his official visit to Ohio State June 16th. There were some day camps a couple of days before that visit. And as I'm out there doing my job and whatnot, I see a five-star kid with yellow dreadlocks walk outside onto the outdoor at the Woody. And I'm like, oh, that's a big kid. That kid looks like a five-star. It's like, oh, because he was a five-star five years ago when he came up here from the DMV and his name was Chase Young. And it's like, oh, in the, in the moment, it's like a cool thing. Oh, Chase is back, probably to get some work in with Larry Johnson, you know, just kind of reset because he's coming off of two years that have been probably pretty frustrating with, you know, DC not picking up his option and whatnot. And then I thought about it. It's like, oh, that probably makes sense that you're about to have a five-star kid from the DMV up here. Why not have the last five-star kid you brought up here from the DMV who turned out to be pretty good for you? I don't know come here, have a conversation with him while he's on his official visit. So the Chase Young aura isn't going away for defensive line targets anytime soon, whether they come here or not, but that's a pretty nice thing to have in your bag for Larry Johnson. And it's probably helped in why now it feels like Dylan Stewart might be headed to Ohio State. Next commitment date, KJ Bolden, Georgia safety, August 5th. He has made his official visits to June 2nd. He went to Clemson. June 9th, he went to Georgia. June 16th, he went to Ohio State. June 23rd, he went to Alabama. Uh, This is the guy who's related to Perry Eliano. Is that right? It is. You were so, like, (laughs) amazed by that. I I mean, at the very least, it's like, I don't know. Like, that's, yeah. I guess, guys, I mean, like, I have a nephew who likes football. Yeah. If I was a coach, he better come play for me. So this is uh, one where a lot of people think this is going to be Georgia. 
Mm-hmm. And this is a top 10 national player. This is number six player in the class as a safety. Would be a huge get. This is the Caleb Downs of this year. Yep. And so you couldn't quite pull Caleb Downs a year ago. You were close. Can you pull KJ Bolden here? Now that he's set the date of August 5th, Stephen, how should Ohio State be feeling about this? I predicted him Ohio State before the date, and I'm going to stick with it. You got you to gotta have some fireworks every so often. And if you can do it with Justin Scott, you should probably be able to do it with your cousin, right? That, that, I, I just think it. They're swing. They have their list of safeties they want to go after. KJ Bolden sits at the top of that list, and I think a lot of the Georgia momentum is Georgia's the reigning national champions because of their defense, and this dude's a defensive player from Georgia. You know, he's from a, he's from one of the more prominent programs in Georgia and Buford, where Georgia is just as much trying to crack the door the door with that high school as Ohio State has. In fact, I think Ohio State may have had more success in recent years at Buford than Georgia has with Harry Miller in 2019. So I, I, I'm going to stick with that. I, I I thought under different circumstances, which has been confirmed to you, know, you, to you, to me, to other people as well, that under different circumstances, Caleb Downs is probably at Ohio State. I think those circumstances are no longer a negative for Ohio State in a way that probably paves the door for Caleb Downs 2024, which is KJ Bolden to be a Buckeye, which would be another big boost for this class in a way of like Larry Johnson got his big boost and Justin Scott. Now can he build on it? Larry Johnson's big boost would be KJ Bolden. Now can he build on it the same way for Tim Walton? Bryce West was his big boost. Perry, Perry Eliano's boost would be KJ Bolden. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Also from Buford, Edric Houston announcement date on August 22nd. The prediction machine has him at 75% to Ohio state on the defensive line. He's the number 23 overall player in this class would be another huge get. You think this is happening? Yeah. I'm, I think this is the one people are, I think we're all the most sure about at this point because it had been kind of a thing happening. You saw it kind of building in the spring when he showed up for an unofficial visit. And then the official visit went really, really well. He fits here in a way that this is a four down defensive lineman who we talk about it all the time. These guys who can play inside and outside. He's the guy who can play inside and outside if it feels more like from a culture fit situation, he fits more of what Ohio State and Clemson are than what Alabama and Georgia are. That only helps your situation there. It's a can Ohio State continue to keep this lead heading into August 22nd or even more? Can he move that date up? Are we 100 percent sure he keeps that date? Because we see kids move back dates and move up dates all the time. So right now it's August 22nd, but maybe he moves it up to July. So those are huge, huge, huge players. Those are the number six, nine, 23, 52, and 103 players in the country. Those five defensive players we just talked about. K.J. Bolden and Aaron Scott in the secondary, Kingston Viliamu Asa at linebacker, and Dylan Stewart and Edric Houston on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. We'll throw in Miles Lockhart here. He's the number 230 overall player. July 6th is his commitment date. He's a, a cornerback from Arizona, right? Mm-hmm. And this is almost a sure thing for Ohio State? Something really crazy would have to happen. I mean, he didn't take any other official visits. He's been in Ohio State lean for months, and that uh, official visit was just a punctuation on that. He's listed as a corner, but they're recruiting him as, as we've talked about in the past, those corners that they might turn into nickels 
when they get here, he would be that amongst these three corners that they hope to get. Well, potentially four is what they'd like to get, but three guys where by the end of July, you would hope that they would be Ohio State guys with Bryce West, Miles Lockhart, and Aaron Scott. He's the one that's going to end up being a nickel, but yeah. So those six names, if they get those six, and, you know, easier said than done, yeah, they'd be back at the standard. They're back to the standard if they get those six. Maybe maybe they don't get one of the guys and they slide in somebody else and they're they're close to the standard. But when we think about this, Stephen, when we think about a Justin Scott commitment, when we think about it, it feels like they're in really good shape with Edric Houston and Dylan Stewart and Aaron Scott. When you think about, man, like there could be – you know, Laurinaitis is here doing his work, man. He's going to pull that California linebacker. And you think about, oh, you know, I I don't know, man. I, this Georgia safety, I, this is Perry Eliano. This is his time to shine. You, you can't assume anything. But with the staff they have, with the strategy that's in place, with their NIL situation, even if they don't go six for six on those six guys we just named, should people feel like Ohio State is being as competitive as they should be in defensive recruiting right now? Yes is winning 60-40 in that right now because I think Justin Scott is a good – it's a giant step in that direction because of how big of a surprise it was. But also I understand if as a fan you're still – holding judgment because it does feel like we're exactly where we were a year ago where it's like, all right, we're in a good position for Keon Keeler. We're in a good position for Damon Wilson, good position for Mateo Uyunglele, good position for Caleb Downs and on down the list. And then signing day comes and goes and you're like, I mean, this class is okay, but it just feels like we just dropped the ball in a way that we weren't even able to compete so I understand if you're trying to hold judgment until decisions start happening, which is why regardless of what happens over the next 30 days, because that's basically the window all these guys commit outside of Edric Houston, you're going to have answers. And that's a good thing for Ohio State because the answer is going to either be no, and so you have time to go back to the drawing board, or it's going to be yes, and we're all going to be going, okay, they fixed all their issues, and now they're just trying to spend the next couple of months here building on it. There's no second place in recruiting except there is. So in, in any individual recruitment, either you, you either get the kid or you don't. But I think we can learn things from how you go about it. Mm-hmm. And how you lose doesn't, you know, doesn't uh, ease the wounds in the moment for an individual kid, but it tells you something about what their chances are for the next kid. And, Nobody's ever perfect at their job, but if you identify what the problems are and then try to fix them, that's much better than either not knowing what the problems are or knowing it and refusing to do anything about it. And I just think right now with Ohio State football in general, I think the football discussion and the recruiting discussions are fairly similar, Stephen, in that neither is perfect. Both are very good. But I think when you see the situations of like, ah, they need to be better here, I think they're addressing it. I don't Mm -hmm. think they're ignoring it. And I think there's reason for hope. And that's – I don't think it's Pollyanna hope. I think it's real, okay, this should be better. And when I think about specifically the defensive recruiting, we didn't talk about offensive recruiting at all. Yeah, they got to get a tackle. This is a defensive recruiting for the last five classes has not been to the standard. I would say it must – 
be back to the standard in the class of 2024. But given what has happened and what we just outlined and the positions they are in, Stephen, I think it should be. I think it will be. Mm -hmm. So we can say, hey, hey, you better do this. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, we know. We're uh, we're doing it. Like, we we can't make all the kids announce on the 4th of July. You can. Just wait. (laughs) Hey, guys. Please. Ryan Day, you come to Ryan Day's front yard. They set off fireworks. And everybody announces at the same time. So – as you said, all that matters is what happens when the kid picks. And that's why it's okay to do a recruiting podcast. Like, it's like, well, you and Nathan did a recruiting podcast. It's like, yeah, 14 things changed in the last oh, yeah. 10 days. So, yeah. you know, if you thought Justin Scott was a no and Marquise Lightfoot was a yes, that's all the other thing you have to watch out for. It's like, hey, these guys, their crystal ball predictions, wow, they're so good at them. It's like, yes, because they have a crystal ball prediction for a year. And then they change it an hour before the kid announces, and they're like, yes, nailed it. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, okay, well. So, but like what the crystal ball prediction is now, what it is for Dylan Stewart, what it is for KJ Bolden, I mean, you can't take anything for granted. But, and it's hard because the issue in last year's class was they were in it on everybody and didn't get over the top on almost anybody. So now it's like, okay, well, it's great to be in it. Okay, yes, skepticism is smart. But there are reasons they should get over the top with a couple more guys in this class. And by the way, they just did one with Justin Scott, which is why this is such a huge deal, that commitment on Sunday night. Yeah, even with the crystal balls thing, that can always – context behind him because it's always about who's doing it. Like if you're Wilt Fong and you're doing it, he says this all the time, the fact – his crystal balls aren't about predicting where a player is going to go. It's just showing the flow of momentum within this race of who he feels has the most momentum right now, which to the point of Justin, and he's not the only one that does it that way, which back to Justin Scott, if you even just go look at his 247 profile right now, there's still crystal balls to like Miami and Notre Dame, you know, because that's how out of the blue it was. And so it's a long race. And these public commitment dates just mean we know when the finish line is. And you're just hoping that once you get to that date, Ohio State is in the lead, and then a whole new race starts because then teams are going to be busy trying to flip your guys. But we just had a staff. We talked, we, we mentioned Al Washington as a guy where you thought he might be able to do it. And it just, after a while, the idea of what you might be able to do rubs off just like it does with guys with stars. You're a five star until we see you play. And then it's a whole different evaluation. Right now, Perry Eliano is in year two of man, this can be really good. He just needed the resources. Man, Tim Walton can be really good as a dude. He coached Jalen Ramsey, and he's got all this experience. Larry Johnson's Larry Johnson. James Laurinaitis might be the Brian Hartline of the defense. But we're in it now. And, well, James, not really, because he doesn't get to go anywhere. He's got to wait till these kids get here for him to be able to say anything. But the other guys, I don't want to say they're in prove-it mode, but we're in year two of it, and this is a results-based business. So... Coming in second for Caleb Downs and then coming in second for KJ Bolden and then coming in second for whoever the guy is in 2025. After a while, like you said, it there's no real second place, even though there is. Second place just means you lost again. They didn't have a, de- a player. They didn't have a defensive player like Justin Scott in the 2023 no. class. They didn't have a defensive player like Justin Scott in the 2020 class. In 2021, they had two. JT2 and Marla Wow and Jack Sawyer. Okay, kind of a big deal. In 2022, they had two, CJ Hicks and Sonny Styles. Okay, kind of a big deal. You watch the team. You hear how we talk about guys. You hear our coaches talk about guys. You think it matters that they got JT2 and Marla Wow? Mm -hmm. 
You think it matters that they got Sonny Styles? That's how it ma- that's how much it matters they got Justin Scott. It's not a guarantee, but you notice that almost you notice the absence. Mm-hmm. Maybe more than you notice the get. So as long as Bama or George, you know, Bama's not really involved. Georgia doesn't come in and steal Justin Scott here at the end. You're not going to have the absence like you did. You felt the absence in the class of 2023 with no Keon Keeley and no Caleb Downs. Justin Scott, and now think about Dylan Stewart and KJ Bolden and all these possibilities. Ohio State's back to the standard. It's a weird thing, Stephen, to say that you've only reached the standard once in the previous five years, but it's very doable. But that's what I think this situation is. So it's what they have to do, but it's also what they should be capable of doing, getting the defensive recruiting back on track. We will not have a Wednesday pod. We were going to not go Tuesday, and then we were going to go Wednesday, and then this recruiting stuff happened. So we're giving to to you on Tuesday. Still working on a thing. We have a thing that'll be really weird, but hopefully interesting later in the week. I think maybe Stephen and I will do a rapid fire. We'll get some stuff figured out. But for now, we greatly appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. For Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.